0: You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Greetings to all the site people out there. (laughs) It's interesting when you, it's nice to have you guys here. Otherwise, if you talk to a camera, you just preach by faith. But at least I can preach by sight and by faith. <clears throat> um, but again, thank you, uh, Chuck and Taryn and James and Tori and the team here for inviting me to be with you not only for the weekend, but to be with this congregation this morning and with the other congregations out there. Um, it's an honor to be with you and to share God's word. And I bring you greetings from the South African Vineyard. Uh, John and, and, and Eleanor Mumford have been in South Africa, and we've been having our South African National Conference at exactly the same time as the Scottish um, Conference. So I'm supposed to have been there, but I said to our national leader, Dave Pedersen, cheers, enjoy. I'm going to, the, I'm going to Scotland. So, so it's, it's, it's a blessing to be here. So for those of you who were not at the conference, Um, I, yesterday morning, just spoke about the meaning of the name vineyard. We are part of a family of churches, not only locally, not only nationally, but also globally, that is called vineyard. And the names names are important in the Bible. And we know from especially the Old Testament, the Hebraic, understanding that when you name people or name things, it is insight into the, into the nature and the character of that particular person. And it's often also prophetic destiny of God's purpose for the person to live into the meaning of their name. And in a postmodern world of self-identifying, in the biblical understanding, we do not self-identify. God identifies us in creation and in new creation and through our parents with a name. And names are really important. So the question is, what does the vineyard mean? What does vineyard mean? And it has an important biblical background, which I want to just summarize and then share with you Jesus' fulfillment of it. So the history of the vineyard is that there was a guy called Ken Gullickson in Southern California in North Hollywood area who planted an independent church, and out of it planted four other churches, God gave him the name through a specific word, vineyard. And the word that God gave him, or the text that God gave him for this name vineyard, was from Isaiah 27, verse 2. I'll read that just now. But after a couple of years of having planted the church and planted a few other churches out of the church in this little emerging vineyard movement, he met John Wimber, John and Carol Wimber, who were then pastoring, um, had planted a church called Calvary Chapel in relationship with a guy, Chuck Smith in Costa Mesa. And God connected Ken and Joni and John and Carol And God spoke to Ken and Joni and said, give the name Vineyard to John and Carol because John's the leader of the vineyard. And they met and they spoke and they prayed and John and Carol believed that was the Lord and they changed the name of Calvary Chapel, Your Belinda, to the Vineyard Christian Fellowship, Your Belinda. And John became the leader of the vineyard movement that is now a family of churches that is in over a hundred nations around the world. Not many of us in the vineyard know what the meaning of vineyard is, at least biblically, and therefore names are identity, and identity defines purpose and meaning, and therefore is very important. So I've only exp- done this talk ...on few occasions, and I just felt I needed to share with you here in Scotland, because I think it's prophetic for your own future. You've come, we all have come out of COVID, a very painful, difficult season, and we're in a new season, um, and I believe a very exciting season of the visitation of God. And we must seize the opportunity and push into the kingdom, because God's on the march, and great things are happening... And we have the privilege of being a part of it. What an honor and what a privilege. So just the text then, the basic text that God gave Ken Gullickson that defines vineyard is Isaiah 27, verse 2. In that day, and that phrase of Isaiah is a regular phrase, the day of the Lord when Yahweh comes to earth, and Yahweh becomes king in his Mashiach, his Messiah, and puts everything right and brings in the Messianic age. In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. Whenever the word vineyard is mentioned, it's always related to fruitfulness or lack thereof. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, Yahweh, watch over it, number one. I water it continually, number two. I guard it day and night, number three, so that no person may harm it. Then going down to verse 6, in the days to come, this is now prophetic of what the vineyard will, this vineyard will become. In the days to come, Jacob and the vineyard. So Isaiah is building on Isaiah chapter 5, where he writes a song of the vineyard that he sings to Yahweh about Yahweh's vineyard, Israel, that Yahweh planted and things Did not go well because Israel did not produce the fruit that God purposed for Israel to produce. And God, Israel did not fulfill her destiny as God's witness to the nations of the faith of Yahweh. And so, therefore, Israel ended up in exile. So, Isaiah 5 is a happy but sad song. Uh, Isaiah 27 is the rehabilitation of the vineyard, (laughs) where it went awry and into exile. So down in verse 6, it says, in the days to come, Jacob will take root. This vineyard will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and will fill all the world with fruit. God's destiny for the vineyard is to fill all the world with fruit, with God's fruit. God's destiny for vineyard is to take root, is to bud, and to blossom, and to fill the whole world with God's fruit. The question is, what is the fruit that God intends for us to produce? So this is the Old Testament background, in the New Testament Jesus refers to the vineyard because he's a good 30-year-old rabbi from Nazareth, Yeshua Hanotsri, Jesus the Nazarene, and he is immersed profoundly in the Hebrew Scriptures and the practice was was memorization of large portions of scripture so jesus in 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 the gospels talks about the vineyard which he gets from isaiah chapter 5 and isaiah 27 and he puts his interpretation on it so he actually tells a parable of a, a, a person who owned a vineyard and leased it out to tenants and then sent people to come and get the fruit and the tenants killed the messengers who came to look for the fruit because they wanted to have the vineyard and own it. (laughs) And then the owner said, I think if I send my son, then the tenants will listen to my son and respect my son because after all, he's my son. But then when the son comes to look for the fruit of the vineyard, they kill the son, thinking they own the vineyard. And then uh, Jesus says, because of that, God, the owner, will come, will judge you, Israel. Because you, leaders of Israel, you think you own Israel. You act like proprietors of God's people. Whereas God is the owner of his own people. Nobody else owns God's people but God. Let God be God. Stop playing God. Especially the message to spiritual leaders. Don't play God. Let God lead the church. Let God be God. We are just mere servants, all in the same family together, learning from Jesus what he's doing in his church. And so Jesus then says, the kingdom will be taken away from you, Israel, because of your leaders, because you will kill me, crucify me, you'll reject me as your Messiah, and the kingdom will be given to another people who will produce its fruit. And the people that Jesus had in mind was both... Jews and Gentiles who would see in him the coming of the kingdom and the fulfillment of the Hebrew prophets, and who would believe in him, put their faith in him, and would follow him, and he would see them as the new Israel of the new covenant that both Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied, as well as Isaiah, that when Messiah comes, he will will make a new covenant with the true, renewed Israel. And they would be the true vineyard of God and will bring out the fruit that God intended all along and would fulfill Israel's destiny that Israel failed to fulfill, which would be to reconcile all the goyim, the scattered nations of the Tower of Babel, to God. And so then Jesus, after giving that parable, according to John, which is unique to John, as opposed to what is called the synoptic gospels. Oh, how's it, guys, out there? I forgot. I'm online. Uh, So I must look at the camera now and then. Is that right? (laughs) Yoni? Okay, cheers. God bless you. Are you with me? (coughs) If you're with me, give me thumbs up there. (laughs) I see by faith. (laughs) There's one guy with thumbs up. Thank you for that. (laughs) <laughs> um, but but uh, the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they give the parable of the, uh, the vineyard and the tenants and the owner and the son and the rejection. And also they give the, the, the parable of the wineskin and the new wine, which I don't want to go into this morning. I mentioned that yesterday. John is unique, John's Gospel, because in John chapter 15, He puts in Jesus' mouth or records Jesus saying through oral tradition of what Jesus taught that Jesus really believed and saw himself as the representative and embodiment of Israel, and where Israel failed nationally in her call, Jesus did what Israel could not do for herself. And Jesus embodied and fulfilled the destiny of Israel in his own life and ministry. And he said, I am the true vine. So in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. And the Father is the gardener. I am the vine that God originally planted and intended and will fulfill for Israel, Israel's destiny. And those who are in me, my followers, both Jews and Gentiles, In a new, renewed humanity, a new community, where the middle wall of partition that causes hostility between Jews and Gentiles is broken down in my rejection on the cross in my body, I tear down all hatred and hostility between Israeli and Palestinian, Yoni, and the wall that they've built in Israel, and the Berlin Wall, and the Roman Wall, the Hadrian Wall, going back into Scottish, in, I won't talk about the, the, uh, the border between Scotland and England, and William the Brave, and all of the wars of history. It is so, so, so tragic and painful. Humanity builds borders and walls and fights against each other. In Jesus, all division, all hatred, All partition, all violence, all different languages and diversity of ethnicities is reconciled in and through the cross. And in his resurrection, there is one new humanity of rich diversity reconciled in unity under the headship of King Jesus, of which John saw in Revelation 4 and 5, which Chuck preached on. Uh, at the at the conference i loved very well thought through prepared excellent stuff he corrected me on my uh, i said there were 14 or whatever mentions of the lamb in revelation then he then he says 28 and i had to say oh jesus forgive me help me i've learned there's 28 but this passage is very significant for us as vineyard because by God's design we found ourselves in a movement that expresses Jesus and the kingdom in a way that's home for us and John Wimber had a phrase where he said you don't join the vineyard but you find out that you are vineyard you come into an environment and as you experience an environment of worship and ministry everything in you just says (laughs) I'm home (laughs) <laughs> What's happening here And what the people say And how they Whatever they're doing Just makes Just Outwardly articulates What I've been inwardly Groping for All my life And I'm home So vineyard Is not better than Baptists Or Because we're in a Originally Baptist facility Or Catholic Or Anglican It's just Different Attempts by people to express the kingdom around their core vision and values that they believe has integrity with their own faith. So we're not better than, we're just different from. But for us, for me, this is home. And for me, I'm in family this morning. And yes, out there online too. I'm in family. (laughs) So, by God's sovereign design, through Ken and Wimber, and the movement that's grown and developed, and I was Privilege to be part of the church plant in South Africa, the Vineyard Church plant in 1982. We are in this movement and this family of churches called Vineyard. So, what is the Lord saying to the vineyard now? What is the meaning and our destiny and our purpose? And it is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the true vine, and all who are in Christ are in this vine, this vineyard of Jesus is the root and the stem. And we are the branches that produce his fruit. And the whole story about the vineyard, always from Old into New Testament, is all about fruit, producing the fruit. So let me summarize then, because I've got to come into land. Um, The fruit, what is the fruit? I am the vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts down every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already pruned. The word clean in the NIV, if it's up there, is actually the same word that's used for pruned. He cleans every branch that produces fruit so that it might be more fruitful. And you're already pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. The word of God that resides in us prunes us and disciplines us into fruitfulness. Remain in me and I will remain in you. In the Greek, this word no remain, is is used 11 times in this passage 11 times it's the key word for this whole passage and it simply means to dwell in it's this it's this uh, the old king james version i was raised on the king james bible i got saved as a a, a young teenager it's abide abide in me however it goes after that. James, pray for me. I I have a voice like your voice. No, 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 no. Stop it, Alexander. Um, (laughs) Abiding is to dwell in, to make your home in. It's this mutual indwelling. One of the common phrases in John's gospel that Jesus used, he said, it's not me who's doing these works. It's the Father who lives in me, It's not me who's speaking these words. It's the Father who's in me. Jesus had a profound, developed consciousness of the indwelling presence of the Father, literally in His body by the Holy Spirit who dwelt in Him. And He worked in exquisite sensitivity and intimacy, and responsiveness with the indwelling father by the Holy Spirit and therefore produced all the fruit that God intended for Jesus to produce as Mashiach in bringing the kingdom and he did for Israel what Israel failed to do and produce the fruit and he says all who are my followers all who are in me by putting their faith into me and following me. You believe in Jesus by following him. Faith without works is? Mors Are there any South Africans here? But you know, in, in Afrikaans, there is no language Given to human beings under heaven that is as expressive as the language of Afrikaans. If you you know, mors duet" is a common phrase, it means you you are deader than dead. You are you are most dead. <coughs> but okay, don't lead yourself astray, dude. Get back to what you wanted to say. So so Jesus says, All who are my followers, who put their faith into me and follow me, who are in me, in Christ, is Paul's common phrase, in Messiah. They are like the branches in the vine and the sap. Of the spirit of god flows through me into you <clears throat> and there's this mutual indwelling i dwell in you by my spirit just as my father dwells in me and even more than that in john 14 jesus says if you love me you will keep my commandments and then my father and i will come and live in you we will make our men know our house our dwelling in you <laughs> God literally lives in your body. And the Father and the Son dance by the Spirit in and through you into the world around you, of which the Greek fathers called the perichoresis, the dance of God's love, as the Trinitarian dance that literally. We are caught up by the Spirit into the Trinitarian dance of love, and the Trinity the Trinity lives in and through us, into the world around us, producing the fruit of the vineyard that God originally intended. So then it goes on to say, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a person men knows in me, I in them, there will be much fruit. Listen to it. it's much fruit. It's all about fruitfulness. And from me, you, and without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not men know in me, then he or she is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. The, and the branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So the Israel that rejected their Messiah came under judgment 40 years later in 70 AD 70, when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Romans. And uh, Josephus says that over a million Jews were killed in Jerusalem in 70 AD when judgment came upon it, that Jesus predicted that judgment. They were cut off and thrown away. But Paul's theology, Yoni, is that (laughs) in Romans, this is the private little fill-in answering question between you and me. Okay, check. But it's a freebie for you guys. Um, Is that if God cuts off the natural branches from the olive tree, and grafts unnatural branches how much more will he regraft the natural branches back in so there is a revival going on in modern day israel of messianic judaism where jews are coming to know jesus as messiah and then he says so he cuts off those branches but if you remain in me and my words remain in you. The way of the indwelling of Jesus in your heart is through the, the meditation and memorization of Scripture that prunes and cleans up your life and character so that your, your, your body, your mind, your emotions, your will is a dwelling place for God becomes holy and progressively pure and transformed into the image of Christ likeness. And then he says, if you remain in me, I remain in you. Verse 9, I must come down to this because my time's running out. So here are five fruit, areas of fruitfulness. So verse 1 to verse 7 is the explanation of Isaiah's parable of the vineyard fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, of which we are a part. Because we're in Christ, but uniquely we're called vineyard. Verse 9 to 16 is is John's interpretation or Jesus' interpretation of the parable he's just spoke. And he talks about five different kinds of fruitfulness that we produce. To the degree we are intimate with Jesus and pursue intimacy with Jesus as he pursued intimacy with his Father. Jesus was so profoundly intimate with God his Father by the indwelling Holy Spirit that they were one. That what Jesus thought was actually what God was thinking. And what Jesus said was what God was, was saying. And what Jesus did, although I am the Son of God, I do nothing on my own initiative. That's what Jesus said. Only what I see my father doing, that's what I do. Because my father's always been working to this very day, and I'm working with him. I'm a co-worker. He's the senior. He's the junior. He's the father. I'm the son. And whatever he does, I do. Whatever he says, I speak. That's who we ought to be as vineyard. That's who we're destined to be. That's the meaning of our name and our nature and our prophetic call. And then... This is how it goes, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now men know in my love. So the first fruit that we produce to the degree we are intimate with the Father and the Son by the indwelling Holy Spirit is the love of Jesus. We start, We learn to love with Jesus' love. And it's that love that defines us as followers of Jesus. By this love will all people know that you are my You guys do know what comes next, hey? Have you, You've seen this book. It's called the Bible. <laughs> you do read it sometimes, eh? Hey? Uh, By this will all people know that you're my disciples. How will people know we are followers of Jesus? By our love, the quality and the degree of our love. And Jesus was not talking about a theological concept. He was talking about a subjective uh, psycho-emotional reality. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He experienced personally the Father's love in such a real way that it became the source and the fountain of His love for His disciples around Him. And in fact, the word as, kathos, is a very important word in the Greek, Because it has two meanings. Kathos means both the standard of love and the source of love. As my Father has loved me, the standard and the quality of His love, so have I loved you. I've loved you up to the standard of my Father's love. But God does not give us a standard that He does not give us the source and empowerment to live up to the standard. And kathos means both the measure of love and the means of love. It means the standard of love and the source of love. The Father's love in Jesus became the source and fountain that that loved through Him. He loved people with the Father's love. And if you go down to verse thirteen, my commandment is this: This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you and greater love is no one than this that you lay down your life for your friends he defines agape love of self self self-sacrificing love the love that gives yourself away selflessly for the highest good of of those around you love promotes the highest good of those around you even if necessary to your own sacrifice sacrificing your own interests are you with me which is embodied ultimately in the cross of of Christ. So what Jesus says is, kathos, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The standard of the Father's love and the source of the Father's love is the quality of my loving you. Therefore now, as I have loved you, you love one another. My love in you, my indwelling you, by my Holy Spirit, will enable you to love up to my measurement of love by the means of my love in you. you. The standard of my love by the source of my love in you. And what Jesus is doing is rehabilitating the old commandment. Because in John chapter 13, he says, i give you a new commandment, which is the old commandment, but the new commandment, but the old commandment, but the new. You remember that. It's the Revised Alexander Version. It says, the old commandment, Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor. Hey, I'm glad you read that one. <laughs> now you're with me. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that you must love one another not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. What Jesus was doing there in in the new covenant is a whole systems, an operation systems upgrade. It's like migrating from Windows environment to Apple Mac. (laughs) I'm not advertising for Apple Mac. God forbid those guys are snobbish. Although I have an Apple, I'm a hypocrite. But um, it's Jesus is saying self-love. If I had to love you as I love myself, whoa. Whoa, God help you. Because I don't love myself that well. In fact, I know me and I live with me and I've got problems with me. And sometimes I reject me. And sometimes many people in their brokenness because of conditional love in the home through mom and dad, where they learned that love is manipulative and control and even abusive, and therefore grow up with such a poor self-image that they actually hate themselves and reject their body. Not that Scottish people have this problem or have never heard about this. Only South Africans. (laughs) (laughs) So Jesus is saying, I want to rehabilitate the old commandment because self-love as the measure and the means of loving your neighbor is deeply faulty because we are all broken human beings. And he gives you an entire systems upgrade. The old, the old covenant becomes the new covenant. And in the new covenant, God puts his spirit in you, writes his word not on tablets outside yet that accuse you, you must, you must, you must, but writes his word in your mind and in your heart and from inwardly, outwardly motivates you to, lo- to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so love one another as I have loved you. So when I reach the end of my loving and I can no longer love, if I'm intimate with Jesus, I will just tap into a reservoir that is eternal and powerful and flows ever stronger in me, through me, to the people around me, which goes way beyond my ability to love. We learn to live and love with His love. That's what He's teaching. The first fruit of the vineyard is the love of Jesus, which is the love of the Father. By virtue of intimacy with Jesus, we live the life of love, and we love with his love. The second fruit is, if you're, verse 10, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in me. The obedience of Jesus is the natural outflow of love. Because we love, we obey, and as we obey, we deepen and nurture that love relationship obedience is a natural outflow of love and obedience is a proof that it is true love and not sentimental love and then the third fruit is um, I have told you this that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete the first fruit is is Jesus' love the second fruit is Jesus' obedience the third fruit is Jesus' joy do you know that God is a positively joyous being? And the joy of Jesus fills us as we uh, dwell and we abide in Him and learn to love as he, with His love that leads to obeying, doing His will on earth as it is in heaven. Every prompting of the Spirit, we yield in obedience, routinely saying, not my will, but your will be done and then we discover the sheer joy of obedience and love and we become a positively happy joyous vineyard it's no use trying to preach the good news if you are not the good news do you get my drift you allowed to smile and laugh a little bit I tell you per- Benedict, Joseph Ratzinger, I read his he's written a number of excellent books and one of his books is on a theology of joy utterly profound that's like drinking the richest red wine from Stellenbosch Mielas Rubicon or probably the equivalent of whiskey from Ale (laughs) (laughs) so move on Uh, so the fourth one is, we end, the fruit is the friendship of Jesus. Verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves or servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I've called you friends because everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. The fourth fruit of the vineyard is true friendship with Jesus, whereby we have insight and knowledge into the father's heart. And the mind of Christ. To know what God knows, to see what God is doing, and to speak what God is saying in any given moment at any given time. Because that is the communion of friendship. Yeah. A servant does not know his master's business, but a friend is brought right in close and knows the heart. And the last fruit is um, authority. Verse 16. Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appoint you that you may go and bear fruit and that your fruit will last until it reaches the ends of the earth in fulfillment of Isaiah 27:6, Then the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. So again, the authority that when we speak and ask in Jesus' name, to ask in the name of is to use the authority of, that God will give us whatever we ask in Jesus' name. So, the fivefold fruit of the vineyard, <laughs> dependent on the quality of our intimacy and pursuit of intimacy with Jesus, is that we have in incrementally Jesus' love flowing through us, we have Jesus' obedience guiding us and bending our will to his will. We have Jesus's joy that fills us and completes us and overtakes us and flows out into the world around us. We have Jesus's friendship through which all that God's doing is disclosed to us and through us to the world around us. And we have Jesus's authority that whatever we ask, He does. He backs us up with power because of the integrity of our intimacy with Him. He can entrust power to us, which is. The exercise of real authority in real terms and not just in theological or notional terms. That when you ask God, God backs you up and shows up and does what you are saying. God bless you. Vineyard, may you produce the fruit God has intended. In Jesus' name.